We are, we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, ben kicked that off for us last week, and he did a great job. I'm really grateful to him for doing that. Um, we, we did a series in the Lord's Prayer years ago, and I imagine some years from now we'll do it again. Because the Lord's Prayer is the, is the school of prayer for us. It is, I was reading uh, yesterday, Martin Luther talking about the Lord's Prayer. And he was saying, what a great comfort it is to know that because this is a prayer that God has commit, himself has commanded us to pray, that even when we don't feel like we, we understand or should be praying these things, we can take great comfort in knowing that because it is God who's told us to pray this way, we can be perfectly confident and free in our prayer. That you don't have to worry whether you're doing it right because Jesus told you to do it and you're on safe ground. This morning we're talking about the fact that Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. This kind of introduction to the prayer. So I'm going to read from the book of Exodus and the book of 2 Corinthians, which will be on the screen. And then um, I, we're going to read a couple question and answers from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which we don't normally do. Catechisms are a way of teaching you. Um, the Shorter Catechism is especially uh, designed for people who are trying to teach their kids, so it's very short. Um, we'll probably refer to multiple kinds of catechisms in this series because Christians have been writing about the Lord's Prayer for about 2,000 years, and it's good to just cheat off of them, which is absolutely what we are doing today. We're going to cheat off of the Westminster. All right, so when that comes up, I'll ask you the question, and if you feel comfortable, you can read out the answer out loud. All right, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a land of good, a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and that, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. And then from the book of 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, the seventh verse. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, what will not, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no, no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will, much more will what is permanent have glory. I will remember how to read today, eventually. Since we have a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his faith so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you could just go to the next thing. All right. What does the beginning of the Lord's Prayer teach us? One more. For what do we pray in the first request? In the first request, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify Him and everything He chooses to make Himself known. And that He will work out everything to please Him, Lord. Good job. You did better reading than I did. My dad, um, was an imposing figure for me. He, he's a big guy. Uh, he's, he seemed huge to me, obviously, when I was small. But um, my dad's name is Alex Rodriguez. Not that one. He, he, actually, my dad's the original Alex Rodriguez. Um, he, he was a baseball player um, in high school and college. Quite a good one. And uh, was, was just sort of a maniacal trainer when he was in high school, in college. And uh, he kind of stayed that way when, when I was growing up to a degree. We lived in Florida. And my dad would basically wear a trash bag to mow the lawn because it would make him sweat more. It was disgusting. <laughs> um, 
my dad is, is now 63. Uh, and even still, if you see him, his legs are tree trunks. He does not lift weights anymore. He just is like that. And um, he, he's, his arms, his forearms, even now, I work out more than my dad, okay, just to be clear. I'm pretty sure I can lift it more than my dad. His forearms, I feel like, are still twice as big as mine. And uh, he's, I'm taller than him, thank you very much. I'm taller than him by a little bit. But uh, we come from a Cuban family. My dad's Cuban um, in West Tampa is where he grew up. And when we would spend time with his family, most Cubans, in my experience, at least my family, are about this tall. So my dad, who's just like an inch shorter than me, looks even more like a giant, right? Um, my, my dad was, in my mind, this, you know, immovable object. He was impossibly strong and worked so hard, not just mowing the lawn, but in general. And uh, the Lord's Prayer does us the favor, Jesus does, a, does us a favor by putting us in this frame of mind uh, as we learn to pray with Jesus and under Jesus' teaching, by, by putting us in this relational kind of paradigm. He's teaching us to pray to God as our Father. And these specific requests, that God's name would be hallowed, that we remember him as our Father who's in heaven, it's, it is additionally helpful to remember him as this kind of father because of what we are reading here today. Now, my, my dad was um, not somebody that I ever felt like was my best friend. And for the record, I, I as a father today, do not believe that it is my job to be my little children's best friend. I'm not commenting on your parenting styles. But my, my title in their life is dad. It is not buddy. Um, and, and my kids are probably pretty clear on that, just as I was clear on that with my father. Um, I had my own friends who were my peers. My, my dad was not a friend like that. It's different now because I'm 38. I'm an adult, uh, mostly. And, and my dad is an adult. We relate differently. But when I'm a little kid who lives in his house, um, I'm, I'm not friends with my dad like that. He's my father. And, and I was very aware of that dynamic. I was very aware of the difference in power, the difference in stature, the difference between me and him was really clear. And... Jesus is actually teaching us to pray with, with some of that difference in mind. That's actually part of what this, this means, hallowed be your name. Now, you, you may just have said these words previously and had no sense of what it is you were praying because you don't pray for anything to be hallowed. You don't even know what other context you would use the word hallowed in apart from a funeral uh, cemetery because it's hallowed ground. That's like the only other context you would hear that in. If you're watching Remember the Titans, I think that's the only time I ever heard it was when Coach Boone was in Gettysburg and he was like, this is a hallowed ground. Okay, watch Remember the Titans, you'll remember. 
how, something being hallowed means something being marked out as different, as uncommon, as holy. And, and we pray this prayer. We pray this way because Jesus taught us to. And it, it is not because Jesus is concerned for the name of God, that God's name is not actually holy, and we need to somehow pray it into holiness. He's, he's saying, you don't hallow God's name. And you should, you should pray that his name is hallowed in your own life. Because you and I are not people who naturally understand or deal with the difference between me and God. The holiness of his name, which represents his person. When Moses encounters God in the burning bush, there is this immediate indication that Moses is not to treat this mystery as a meeting between two equals. It is instead a meeting that requires him to be in some sense undone. He must take off his shoes because he is standing on holy ground. And that is merely a sign. The removing of his sandals is not like, okay, now you're good. Now you're barefoot, so you're on equal footing with God. The removal of the sandals is merely a sign. Everything about Moses in that moment is on the verge of being undone. Not just his sandals. Because he is in confrontation with the God who burns with the light and power of his own being. And Moses is an impossibly dangerous position. And, and when you read the scriptures... You see this recognition time and again. When the prophets, when the people have a confrontation with the living God, they do not view God as their buddy. They do not view him as somebody who is an equal or a peer. They do not view God as somebody who is like them times 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 100,000. They confront God, are confronted by God, and they themselves are undone. The reaction is somewhere in the, in the room of terror. They, they believe they are about to die because God is before them. And Jesus is not undoing that impulse. He is, in fact, teaching you and I to pray in remembrance that this dynamic is, in fact, true. That God is holy. He is not like me. He is not like you. And his name should be hallowed. He defines his own name for Moses like nobody else defines their name. He, he doesn't say, this is the name that was given to me. 
He, in fact, presents a name that is simply self-definition. I am me. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am who I've always been. And there is no one like me. Because God is singularly God. When we are talking about God, when we are talking about the person of God, we are talking about this God. And this is probably a prayer, hallowed be your name, that you and I, I I would say, probably need to pray more than just about any other people in the history of Christianity. Because we, culturally, and in our moment, are disinclined to believe that any power or authority should be treated this way, and if they demand that they should, they are suspect. Anybody who you ought to love, you should not treat with any kind of reverence or respect. And so we should we we need to hear what Jesus instructs his disciples to pray because we ought to recognize that we of all people in all times and places I would wager are are the people most inclined to hallow nothing including God's name. I I I have never been able to forget being in high school and seeing the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. I don't know if you remember these things. Uh, they had a little moment. And I, I have to say, like, I, I come from a spiritual and religious tradition that is more inclined to, to talk about God that way. That Jesus is my buddy, that God is my... I, know, I wouldn't have said homeboy, because that just feels really inauthentic. Is anybody my homeboy? No. Is Jesus my best friend? Is, is Jesus something in that neighborhood? I would be inclined to wear that, that, that T-shirt. But there, there is a kind of leveling of the playing field that causes us to misapprehend who we are talking about when we are talking about God. And God is not that. There is no level playing field. When we talk about God here... We are talking about this one, the I am who I am, the great God who is infinite in power and wisdom, who is not confined to any kind of location or people, but by the breath of his own power and by merely the exercise of his own will. He causes everything that exists to come into being and to remain in existence. And with the turning of his own will in thought, he could extinguish everything without any effort at all. And when, in, when God rests at the end of Genesis 1, we believe that that God was not actually tired. He did not get to the end of all of his creating and say, I have expended a significant percentage of my energy and power, but instead rested for our benefit because he was not himself tired. God is inexpressibly holy. Which means he is entirely pure in other in a way that you and I cannot begin to understand. The problem that Moses felt in the confrontation between him and God was not just a difference in physical power, but in a difference in immoral power. 
That is usually the thing that causes the prophets to feel like they're about to be undone from the inside out, is that they are people who are fundamentally impure, and they're prophets. They're like A-plus followers of God. And they stand before God, and they're like, I am going to die because of my sin. The incredible tsunami of your own perfect, pure, powerful holiness will crush me in a moment. And we live in a world that has some some dim recollection of what this means. Because we live in a culture that constantly is trying to eject from each other's midst those principles of impurity. You You are too liberal for me. You are too conservative for me. You must be removed from my midst. You you hold to this cause, you hold to this power or this principle. You are not with us, you are against us, you must be removed from me. In, In our sort of dim memory of this principle, we kind of get this, except it's been twisted and perverted, and we look at equals and think ourselves superior. When in reality, this is the real dynamic. You, the one who would expel anybody who is too this or that for you, you actually, when you are confronted with God, you are the one who must be expelled. You do not hallow God's name. I do not hallow God's name. I take him as a given. I put him in in the sort of landscape of my life as a movable piece of furniture in the room, I take God for granted. And when Jesus teaches me to pray, hallowed be your name, he is speaking to me because my name unhallows everything. Most especially the one who, if I actually considered him, I would understand, would be the one who would undo my shoes and my whole being in and of itself. He is the immovable and unapproachable one. He is the one whom we cannot wrestle with or against, who will steamroll us just by being him. And yet, and yet, he is our father in heaven. And we, we take this idea, our Father in heaven, and we make it mean the opposite of what it actually means. Because when we pray our Father in heaven, we have in our heads a map of the universe that does not exist. Because you think heaven is far from you. And it's not. There is no map of the universe where you are here and God lives somewhere really, really, really high up there in the heavens. It is instead that God is uncontained by any kind of geography. And our Father who's in heaven, you are meant to know is everywhere that you are praying this prayer. 
Because heaven is not contained by space, nor is it contained by the atmosphere, nor is it contained by a physical geography. Heaven is the place where God is. And God, Jesus teaches us, his kingdom, it's at hand. Because my, my dad, he, he was, I couldn't touch him and move him if I wanted to. But every once in a while, my father would go in. We had this, I don't even remember why we had this room in our house. It felt like a huge room. We called it the peach room because it was peach in color, which is awful now that I think about it. And it was basically empty. And on one end, there was a couch. At the other end, there was a piano. And there was nothing in between. And my dad would get on his knees, and we would play football in the house with my dad on his knees and me and my sisters running full tilt at him. The goal of the game was basically just hit my dad as hard as we could. <laughs> there was a football in there somewhere. We could never have brought my father to his knees. Never. My father brought himself to his knees so that we could be close to him. And Jesus is telling you both of these things at the same time when you pray this prayer. You need to pray that God's name would be hallowed so that you understand the immensity of what he has done for you. God is not your homeboy. God is not your buddy. God is not you. God deserves to be revered and honored and worshipped because he is this unapproachable one. And that one, he got on his knees so that you would know that he has approached you. So that now there is no place where you can go where our Father who's in the heavens, who is in heaven, which is at hand, would be close to you. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, what was in the law that Moses talked about was only a veiled kind of revelation. But now the veil has been removed so that the name of God is not just at the middle of this unburning and unquenchable fire in the burning bush. But now that name has been put in your lips. And the Spirit of the Lord, Paul equating the Holy Spirit with this one in Exodus chapter 3, he's the one now who unveils your face so that you can see even more. You don't see less of what the prophets saw when they were terrified and undone. You're not meant to. You're meant to see more. You're meant to see clearer than they ever did, even though they had a vision where they were standing with unveiled face before God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that actually you see clearly than anybody ever has before because you see Jesus. 
And now the fire that was not quenching this burning bush is the fire that has been given to the people of God themselves when the name moved from outside to in. When the Holy Spirit of God, our Father in the heavens, is now so very much at hand that our own lives become hallowed ground. You you can make two kinds of errors. You can think that God is so far away from you He's so what we call transcendent, that he, you get the dynamic that the prophets felt. You feel it all the time. You can barely look in God's direction. And that is not what you are meant to have, not that alone. You are meant to feel the weight of God's being and to see him stoop down low for you, to speak your language, to come close to you. And you, you may just sort of instinctively view God as your buddy, You may make the mistake, just like this person makes the mistake of thinking that God is some distant and disapproving and angry father. You may think that God is basically you, but the personal counselor version of you. That God is basically your emotional support animal. But he's not. (coughs) He's more. The God who is close who is your friend, he is this one. (coughs) Today, you need to hear the words of Jesus. Our Father in heaven would stake out hallowed ground in our lives. Not to make us afraid, not to crush us under the weight of his being, but to invite us into the beauty of his holiness. His holiness is not meant to steamroll you or plow you into an early grave. It is the beauty of his holy love that you were made for. My father's strength was not meant just to be protection from me from afar or intimidation for me when I disobeyed. My father's strength was what I longed to wrap my arms around when we would collide with each other on the floor. And your Father, who's in heaven, hallowed as he is, is meant to collide with you in the context of your life again and again and again. You are not robbed of something when the name of God is hallowed. You are plunged into the infinite power and beauty of him and his loving holiness will make you more alive and happy than you have ever been. Jesus teaches us to pray this way because he loves us. And so we pray this way again and again and again and again so that we might wake to the breathtaking beauty of his power and holiness and love and no longer slumber right in his presence but live, really live 
alive before him. And Paul says, free. Because where the power, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom to be a little child. There's freedom to know you're loved by him. Freedom to live under the safety of his power and goodness. If you're here today and you ache and long for the transcendent, you're looking for it in nature or experiences or whatever, you were made for this one. You were made to live in hallowed ground before the face of God. And if you are here today and it is really difficult for you to believe that God is close at hand, understand. I, I've been there. It may be really, really hard to feel it sometimes. But Jesus told you to pray this way as a promise to you. It will always be true. If you can't see it, if you can't feel it, if you can't know it right now, this is a season of your life. But he is your father in heaven. Not far away, but always close. And so pray. Pray until you can see the bush again. The fire, the firelight comes for you again. Because it will. You're his. He's your father. But you are his son or daughter. Jesus is somehow miraculously and forever your brother, the scriptures say. And he will not abandon you. He will move you to hallowed ground again. And there you'll live forever in the light of his face. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Living God, we give you thanks that you're not like us. We thank you for coming and approaching us in Jesus. That now we more fully understand your name. That who you are, I am, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That you have, in fact, baptized us into your name. That we might forever live in light of your face. God, I pray for those who struggle because God seems far away, transcendent, intimidating, powerful. It's hard to think of you as close or someone they want to be close. And Father, I pray that you will show them the whole picture, that you are at hand and you want to be known this way. And if they cannot believe it because they cannot sense it, they cannot feel it within them, that you would at least grab their eyes and have them look at the cross as your own solemn pledge and declaration to them forever. That you intended the veil to be lifted and you intended to be close to them. 
And Father, I pray for those of us who, who treat you as an accessory to our lives, as something that is to be manipulated, something to be ignored, rather than the fundamental principle of our existence. God, I pray that we would not be shamed or bullied into seeing that, but instead we would see the grandeur of the fact that the God who spun the galaxies, who is more holy than we can imagine, has stooped down low to be our Father. God, help us to see you in your splendor, to fully receive the glory of what you've done in Jesus. And Father, I pray that anybody in here who feels that they are too impure, too small, or that life with you is too empty and bland, would instead see the full picture that you have come for them, you've come for them as our Father in heaven, and in you are breathtaking vistas of life and glory. And they too might, might find a place. Father, our hearts are too small and too cold too often. Thank you for being gently persistent with us to the day that we might see you face to face. We love you, Jesus. May love for you burn bright, a pale reflection of your own love for us. Amen.